our Old Testament lesson this morning. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 4 through 15, which can be found on page 266 in our Pew Bibles or 519 in uh, the large print Pew Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 4 to 15. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for uh, this country that we have been celebrating this weekend, the freedoms that we have. We thank you that we do have the freedom to gather together publicly and openly to praise your name, to worship you, to read your word aloud, to hear it together. Lord, we pray for those around the world who don't have such freedoms. And Lord, we pray that you would work to protect the freedoms that we have here. And we thank you for all of those who have been um, who have been fighting, even those who have given their lives, to protect the freedoms we have in this country. And Lord, we thank you also for Jesus who gave his life to set us free. Lord, we ask that as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning, that you would help us to understand better what it means to have that kind of freedom in Jesus. We pray that you would help us to hear your word to hear it fresh this morning and to be changed by your word and by your spirit that we would become even more today the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 4 to 15. This is after King David has died and Solomon, his son, has become king. Says the king, Solomon, went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices. For that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have, you, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings." And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon 
awoke and realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Turning to our New Testament lesson, Matthew 7, 7 7-12, from the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It should be found on page 788 in our Pew Bibles, or 1510 in the large print. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Well, we have... Uh, been talking the last couple weeks about starting the book of James, and this week we finally get to begin. It's about time. And the book of James begins with some words that have been misunderstood so often that we will actually start with what they don't mean before we get to what they do mean. James begins this way. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But what does it mean? Because at first glance... Sometimes people take it to mean this, and actually, sometimes people have even taught it to mean this. That when it says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, that all that means is, no matter how bad things get, just keep smiling. It's not really that bad. That is wrong. In fact, one of the things the Bible tells us over and over is, it really is that bad. And the things that we are going through that hurt, really do hurt. And the Bible never makes light of that. So it's not saying... Whenever you face these difficulties, just keep smiling and pretend like it's not that bad. The other thing it's not saying is that, you know, when it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. I have heard this taught um, from various churches to mean God is going to give you whatever you ask for. And it sounds like that's what Jesus was just saying in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And what uh, James is saying here is, yeah, ask 
and God's going to give it to you. But you've got to believe and not doubt. And so what I've heard taught is, that's the key. You, if you pray for something and God doesn't give it to you, that's because you, you doubted and you didn't believe. But if you really believe hard enough, then you are going to twist God's arm and make him do what you want. Like, that's the whole thing. If you can just believe hard enough, then you can get God to do what he doesn't want to do, but you can make him do it by believing hard enough. And they don't quite put it in those terms, but that's really what they're teaching. Have you heard anything like that before? If you want this to happen, all you have to do is pray and believe hard enough, and God's going to have to do it. And if he doesn't, it's because you didn't believe. That's, that's your fault. But if you believe hard enough, he'll do it. All right, we're starting there, because that's what this doesn't mean. And we want to clear that out of the way and understand what it does mean. But first, I want to tell you a uh, little illustration. Has anybody here seen the uh, TV shows, either Ninja Warrior or American Ninja Warrior, that have been so popular lately? Even seen them advertised? These are just insane obstacle courses that are huge and overblown, and people compete in these obstacle course challenges. And that's the whole idea, is you run these obstacle courses, and, um, and they're up high, and you're hanging, and you're just exhausted and worn out, and people fall, and they have water underneath, so you don't, you know, get seriously injured. Um, but if you touch the water at any point, that's it, you're done. And you will watch competitor after competitor who has trained and trained for months, and they go through, and they'll touch the water. Oh, it's so disappointing. They don't get to finish the challenge. But there was one guy, usually that their attitudes, though, are very good. Because as they face these obstacles and these challenges, even when they fail, they're like, but that's okay. It was still, you know, it was still a good time. It was still something that, uh, that I like doing. And you look at the kinds of things they're doing and how they're hanging by their fingertips for way too long. <laughs> so they're trying to jump from one obstacle to another just on their fingertips. And you think, why? Why would anybody put themselves through this? And more than that, why would they put themselves through this and then still think that this is a good time? apparently most of the country thinks it's a better time to sit on the couch and watch other people do this. But there are people who are putting themselves through this and they're saying, yes, this is a good thing. And, uh, and there are two reasons why I think they do it. One is just because they understand that in meeting these challenges, they're making themselves stronger and healthier than they would be if they didn't have those challenges in front of them. And secondly, and I wish I could remember who it was that said it or had the exact quote, but one of the competitors, after um, he'd run his uh, course, they interviewed him, and he said something along the lines of, you know, what we're doing out here with these obstacle courses, we're not curing cancer. We're not, uh, we're not saving people from starvation. It's not that kind of thing. But what we're doing out here is an illustration of the challenges we face in our everyday lives and the challenges we face as a country and as a people and overcoming those challenges. And that's what we're demonstrating. And I think that is a very good image because that is a good image for overcoming obstacles that we all will face. Here's the problem, though. It's one thing for everybody to say, yes, we face obstacles and it's important to get past those obstacles and to figure out how to do that and to go past those obstacles to reach the goal. But what if we don't all have the same goal? That's where it gets different, especially for Christians. 
because everybody might be able to watch a show like that or everybody compete in these challenges and say, this is a metaphor for the obstacles we face in life. Say, yes. But to press on to what goal? Actually, grab a couple things here. Concluded a sermon um, a couple months ago on John 15, where Jesus was saying, I am the vine, and you are the branches. By saying, uh, to live the lives that we were meant to live, lives that glorify God, and in which we actually find the greatest joy, lives that bear fruit that will last. We must trust completely in Jesus, depending on him to know the, purposes of, the purpose of our lives, depending on him to guide us on our way and to strengthen us for the tasks ahead, depending on him to change us to be more like him as we obey his repeated and urgent commands to love each other. As we face the obstacles that we will face, as we get phone calls of surprising news, whether good or bad, we have an opportunity in those moments to move closer to the goal or to move farther away from the goal. That's what James is talking about. But if we don't know the goal, we'll never make the most of those opportunities. So how do we make the most of those opportunities? First, we need to know the goal. And if uh, you just heard that, let me take you also to Romans. Here we go. Romans 28 and 29. Again, another one, verse 28, read apart from 29, has often been misunderstood, where it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And people have bad things happen and say, You can't tell me that God is working all things for my good because this hurts. But we have to keep reading. Who have been called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? Because for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, the pain that God allows in our lives. The successes that God allows in our lives. All the free choices that we have that we're making in our lives. That he allows are there for one purpose. It's to make us more like Jesus. And if we understand that that is the goal, then we can take the good and we can take the bad and we can take all of it and say, these are training exercises for being and becoming like Jesus. There's a book by John Eldridge called The Utter Relief of Holiness. which I would encourage you to check that one out. Um, the utter relief of holiness. And he points out how most people, when they hear about holiness, the first thing they think of is not relief, but burden, right? You are to be holy, and you go, oh, that means like following lots of rules. No, it's something else. So let me read a bit here. He says, before we go any further, I need to make the offer of Christianity clear. And that is, there is a way to be good again. The hope of Christianity is that we get to live life like Jesus. That beautiful goodness can be ours. He can heal what has gone wrong deep inside each of us. The way he does this is to give us his goodness. Impart it to us almost like a blood transfusion 
or mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. We get to live his life. That is, live each day by the power of his life within us. That's the hope. You get to live that life. And then he talks about all the challenges and the struggles that we face. And especially those that we bring on ourselves. The struggles with our sin and our sinfulness. And he says, can you imagine what an utter relief it would be if you didn't have to struggle with those things anymore? He says, I mean to be so free that you're not even disciplining yourself not to do these things anymore. You just don't do them. You don't struggle with whatever it is that haunts you. It's not an issue. That is the utter relief of holiness. And that's what happens when the life of Jesus invades your life. Doesn't that sound like a relief? Now, if this is God's goal for us, this is what he is doing in each of us as, an in, as individuals, this is what he's doing in us as a church, is growing us to maturity in Christ. Not that we are born again and then left as babies, but that we grow up, that we become more like Jesus. That is the goal. And if we think... If we think that the goal is to live a life of comfort and ease, then we will accept some things as they come as being, oh, this, is, this must be a blessing from God because I just had this thing happen that makes me more comfortable. And then when something less comfortable happens, we will say, why doesn't God love me anymore? But when we understand what he's doing in our lives, we can consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. Take the good and the bad. The times of rest and the times of work. We can take the times of plenty and the times of want. Take all of it as our training ground to become more like Jesus. It says we consider it pure joy whenever we face trials because we know the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And we want to let perseverance finish its work. So that, we may be, so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Maybe another way to look at this is um, consider it pure joy, my high school football player. Whenever you face the weight room and all the many <laughs> elements there, because you know that the lifting of those weights produces stronger muscles. Let those muscles strengthen so that you will be bigger and stronger and ready to play on the field. Or maybe a better illustration. Consider it pure joy, my cross-country runner. Whenever you have to run in all kinds of weather, at all kinds of distances, because you know that the running produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be able to run the race set before you. And so, Christians, consider it pure joy whenever you face all of these trials of many kinds because you understand that the goal is maturity in Christ. That is what we are after. And if that is what we are after, and that is what God is after in us, then we can consider it all pure joy. That doesn't mean smiling through the pain. But that means when we pray for God to, um, to give us patience, That's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Give me patience. We can be sure 
that very soon we will be in a hurry standing in the back of a very slow-moving line. And rather than grumbling, we can say, thank you, God, for answering my prayer. (laughs) For giving me yet another opportunity to practice the patience that you desire in me. But we have the option, are we going to do that with God or without him? That's always been the choice. Are we going to live life with him or without him? Are we going to face this good news with God or without him? Are we going to face this bad news with God or without him? Every, every bit of news that we receive is another opportunity, another part of the training ground of life to come closer to God or to push him away. All right. So then he continues. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I think it's really key that we understand right here what it is that he is saying we need to believe about. This is not saying... Ask for whatever you want to, and if you believe hard enough, God's got to do it. But there was one thing specifically mentioned that we are to pray for and believe that we will receive it. Wisdom. That we are to pray for wisdom. And what does it mean uh, to receive wisdom? It means to know how to live this life. How to face the challenges before us. How to really live the Jesus life. He got it right. We all mess it up all the time. But he got it right. If we live like him, we're living the right way. And that's what wisdom is. Is knowing how to live the right way and living it. And he says, if you pray for wisdom, you can believe that God is going to give that to you and not have to second guess that. You don't have to question that at all. And here's why. We already read from Romans that that is God's purpose for us, is to conform us to the likeness of Jesus. Which means, when we say, God, will you please give me wisdom, we're not saying, and I know you don't want to, so pretty, 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 please, please give me wisdom, please, please, please. Like a kid tugging on mom's skirt at the grocery store in the candy aisle. (laughs) Please, 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 give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. That's not what he's saying. What we're saying when we pray for wisdom is this is what God already wants for us. And what we're saying when we pray for that is, okay, God, I'm ready. That's it. We're saying, I am ready to join with you in what you are already doing and wanting for me. And so, if that is the prayer for wisdom, if that is the prayer, then we don't have to doubt that that's what God is going to do for us. Because when we do, what we're doubting is who God is and what he's already promised for us. And so what happens is, we say, you know, God, please give me wisdom. Show me how to live. And then immediately, what are we going to face? We're going to face another opportunity where God is going to teach us how to live like Jesus. And sometimes, we're going to get it right. And a lot of times, we're going to get it wrong. In the same way that when a new... uh, toddler is learning to toddle around (laughs) and walk and you start out and you're holding their hands and sometimes you let go and they walk a few steps and they fall 
And you don't get mad at them for falling. And say, that's it. No more walking for you. How dare you? But you help them up and you help them to keep going and you continue teaching. That's what it means when he says he gives generously to all without finding fault. He continues to give this training ground and this training and also his spirit. C.S. Lewis talks about it like a child learning to, um, to write. He says the first thing that happens when a child is learning to write is an adult grabs their hand and puts their hand over the crayon and they, they form the letters for them. That's what we're asking for. And when what we do is we ask God, give me wisdom, and then we face a situation and God grabs our hand and says, okay, here's how you do it. And we pull our hand away and say, no, 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 I got this. I don't think you're going to do it anyway. That's the doubting. And it says when we continue to do that and rip ourselves away from God and pull ourselves away from God, it says what we're doing is we're not trusting him and we're not living that kind of life that he has for us. And when we do that, it says why would you expect to receive the wisdom that God has for you? God, show me how to live in this, uh, in this situation like Jesus does. And he says, okay, here's how you do it. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that. He says, why would you expect to get the benefits of the training if you don't go through the training? That's what this is about. It's all about becoming like Jesus, but trusting God to bring us there his way. And what that means is we pray for wisdom. We pray that God would... Uh, would form us into people like Jesus. And that we would see every that we would see every instance in our lives as yet another opportunity for that training. And we would understand that the obstacles we face, even the painful ones, are obstacles that make us stronger as we go through them. And that we believe that he means what he says when he says that all things will work together for our good. For the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Because we know that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. As we come closer and closer to Jesus, as we trust him more and more, we will find that we become more like him in all things. And we start to see that fruit. Love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control coming out of us in a way that we can never manufacture on our own. This is not about smiling through the pain. It's about holding on to Jesus and trusting him to bring us through for his purposes in all of it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.